Welcome to It Depends, a sales tax podcast by Tax Connects. I'm your host, Brian Greer, joined by my colleague, Jeff Meggs, and we're super excited that you've joined us today. Sales and use tax can be confusing and overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Whether you work in an industry or a CPA firm, or just someone who wants to stay informed about the latest sales tax laws, we've got you covered. Periodically, we'll explore different aspects of sales tax. So whether you're a tax pro or a novice, in industry, school, or a practicing CPA, tune in and join us as we attempt to simplify the complexity of the sales tax world. This is It Depends, because with sales tax, there's rarely just one answer. And often that's our answer to many questions. It just depends. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Um, I'll provide just kind of a quick uh, kickoff here and just a short overview of Tax Connects. Just to help you understand who we are, uh, we are a professional services firm and we uh, focus very specifically in sales and use tax. There's about a hundred of us in the business just dedicated to sales and use tax. Um, And there's really two primary service areas that we operate in. One is our uh, consulting or advisory type of practice and and Jeff heads that up for us. We uh, help companies um, identify where they have nexus, answer questions about uh, taxability of their revenue streams. We do a good bit of voluntary disclosure work and sales tax audit support as well. Uh, The second area of the business is a compliance outsourcing service. So for a business that has a multi-state sales tax obligation, uh, but they just lack the internal bandwidth or desire to manage that process internally, Uh, we become an outsourced sales tax department for them. So I won't go into a specific bio of myself and and Jeff, but uh, he and I have been working together for about uh, 20 years or so in this sales and use tax space, about 13 of them here and five of them at TR, Thomson Reuters, and our previous uh, business tax partners uh, prior to that. So uh, we got a good bit of history here that uh, hopefully Jeff can share with you and I might have a few gems and tidbits along the way as well. Um, You know, in terms of our agenda, um, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper, but but even so, I think this is really just meant to provide kind of a flavor for how some of the states look at technology companies and and SaaS-oriented businesses. Uh, We're certainly not going to be able to dig into you know, taxability of, of every type of a revenue stream in every state, but we'll certainly give you a flavor for that. We'll kind of kick it off with more of a nexus discussion since without nexus, you have no obligation from a sales tax perspective. So that'll be the first piece of it. Um, and you probably see citusing in there as well. Um, that may or may not mean anything to you, um, but more specifically, certainly we'll talk about it. It's really uh, highlighting in what jurisdiction does the sales tax apply. And if you're in the SaaS uh, business and some of these other technology platforms, you'll understand that that's a pretty convoluted, complex uh, topic. So we'll hit on that at the end here. So I'll flip it over to to Jeff here. 
Thanks, Brian. So, um, as Brian said, the first thing we're going to kind of touch on here is is Nexus. Uh, those of you that have been in the sales tax arena for some time, prior to 2018, when we thought about Nexus for sales tax purposes, it was typically a physical presence test, meaning you had to have some physical activity or physical presence in the form of an employee or inventory in a state before a state could impose its taxing authority on, on the company. However, in 2018, we had a sort of a landmark decision in the South Dakota versus Wayfair case that ultimately went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court basically was evaluating whether or not South Dakota's imposition of an economic nexus standard was constitutional for sales tax purposes and ultimately did decide favorably for South Dakota. And in doing so, they didn't necessarily rewrite the law or the history books, but they put in motion the ability for all of the states that impose a sales tax to implement their own economic nexus standard. And that that decision is impactful primarily to e-commerce companies, but really specifically it impacted tax technology or technology companies in a way that uh, is, has been very very significant. Um, sim to simplify it for you, historically prior to 2018, a technology company based in Ohio could have customers all over the country. They could be sending downloaded software or selling downloaded software throughout the country, providing remote-based configuration implementation and other types of services. And because they only had physical presence in Ohio, they had no obligation to account for sales taxes in any of those other states. Today, they very well could have a responsibility to comply with sales taxes potentially throughout the company. So what is economic nexus? What does it really mean? It, it's the, the simple way to think about it is if you have $100,000 in revenue during a 12-month period, you're likely creating nexus in that state for sales tax purposes. The majority of the states, when they legislated an economic nexus standard, they did set the threshold at 100,000 for either the prior calendar year or the prior 12 months. There are some, as there is with any sales tax matter, nuances and unique circumstances. California, Texas has a $500,000 threshold, which is helpful. Um, on the flip side, there are a number of states that in addition to that $100,000 threshold also have a 200 transaction threshold. So in essence, you could have 200 $1 transactions during the course of a 12-month period, and that in and of itself may establish or trigger nexus for sales and use tax purposes. But back sort of to the surface of this thing, why does that matter? What, what, is, what is it that we need to worry about with respect to Nexus. Nexus is really that first step in determining what responsibilities you have for sales and use tax purposes in a, in a given state. Without Nexus, you have no obligations for sales tax purposes. With Nexus, you need to understand whether or not your products or services are subject to tax, and you would have the obligation to charge tax on your invoices to your customers prospectively. Failure to comply with those laws could result in 
an audit of your business by a particular state. And what they would say is you had an obligation to comply with our sales tax laws. You failed to do so. And we are going to assess you the tax that you should have charged to your customers on their invoices. And because you haven't been in compliance or registered, there's no statute of limitations. So from 2018 forward, if you've established economic nexus, that, that's currently about four and a half years. Um, that's only going to grow. It could be seven to 10 years worth of activity if you don't get in into compliance and address those, those matters soon enough. Um, so in any case, I think it's just important to understand that, that there is an economic nexus standard. My advice to everyone would be look at your revenues, maybe on a quarterly, semi-annual, or annual basis across all states. And when you do, when you do exceed $100,000, just take an extra look at that state, determine whether or not the products or services you're selling are in fact subject to sales tax. They may be subject, they may not be subject to sales tax. When we talk about digital goods, certainly they come in a lot of different varieties and flavors. Uh, a lot of the states will define digital goods um, as being um, more or less music, movies, or books. Um, so digital audio works, di digital audio visual works, and digital books. However, there are other states where the scope of Digital products can can be more expansive. Um, digital pictures that are sent and delivered in a downloadable fashion or electronic fashion. Video streaming is a is a category that gets taxed. Um, and then we have information services and finally software, either downloaded or software in a subscription-based model or SaaS. Um, these are all just examples. This is not an exhaustive list of those items that re represent digital products or, or electronically digital delivered form. These are just some examples that are fairly common. Um, what's challenging in the technology space is it advances so rapidly and there are so many new products or service offerings that we're introduced to just as a, a fairly small company in, in, in the tax space. Um, it, it is extremely difficult for our clients to keep up with the tax treatment of their products as a result. The jurisdictions and the statutes certainly are nowhere close to keeping up with it. Um, there are still quite a number of states out there that have no formal guidance published on their treatment of the taxability of software as a service. Uh, so there is a lot of challenges and uh, there's a lot to understand, there's a lot to interpret when dealing with, with the digital categories. Technology taxability, as we've talked about, kind of kind of varies fairly significantly across the states. Um, when we think about information services, uh, there's roughly 13 or so states that, that are going to tax an information service. And when we say an information service, we're talking about information that's accumulated, gathered, and then transmitted or transferred in electronic fashion. Um, there are still quite a number of information services that aren't transferred in electronic fashion. Um, some of those are, or some of those may not be taxable. There are certainly circumstances where an information service delivered in a tangible form might be taxable, but it might be exempt or not taxable if delivered in electronic fashion. Software delivered electronically. You know, that, that's a, obviously an, uh, a category of technology that's existed for some number of decades now. Uh, there are roughly 34 states 
that tax, generally tax downloaded software. Um, you know, sometimes just the definition of downloaded software or software as a service, defining whether a customer is really delivering those types of products is a challenge in and of itself. And, and finally, to that point, software as a service, there's fewer states that have adopted the principle of taxing or subjecting software as a service to a sales tax. But there are 18 states that, that we've identified that do play in that space. Um, that has grown and both grown and shrunk over the last couple of years, interestingly enough. Um, and as I've said here, as I've talked about the defining of a digital good, the, the defining of, of technology in general, um, one of the more common challenges is deciding whether or not something is a SaaS product or an information service, both of which are accessed through logins, through some type of technology. And um, our perspective on it is that if you're really buying or subscribing the computing capabilities, the computing power of, of a particular product or service, and you're voluntarily providing data into that environment, that looks and feels more like a SaaS offering. Whereas if it's simply accessing a database to retrieve data that's not necessarily personal to your business, that looks more, feels like an information service. Um, so that's a very high level, really simple example of sort of some some levels of determination or distinguishing between the two. Jeff, I've, I've seen some scenarios, and maybe you can comment on this as well, but I, I think sometimes companies get a little bit caught up in terms of it's a subscription, and therefore the subscription makes it SaaS, but I think you can have electronically downloaded software that's paid for or licensed on a subscription basis. So that's not necessarily a factor, I don't think, right, in terms of the subscription nature of something. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, the terminology and the, the, the way you present something in invoicing um, can be both an influencer and a trap. Um, and, and the reason I say that, that way is you're when you're under audit, and at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is manage risk in this environment. We're trying to mitigate any potential that we've got financial exposure for noncompliance. And at the end of the day, that that is that noncompliance or that exposure is is identified through an audit. And when you think about how an audit is conducted, generally they're looking at transaction by transaction data. They're looking at physical invoices maybe electronically delivered invoices. And the sort of definitions or descriptions that are used in that invoicing can certainly have an influence on how the states interpret what you're delivering in the way of a product or service. So the use of terminology is, is important and critical. And what I would say is that you can influence some auditors by use of the term subscription versus downloaded software. Um, but it's also important to note that the name that you've applied to it doesn't essentially result in how it's taxed or dictate how it's taxed. And there's just differing degrees of audit investment done to try to really substantiate what it is a company's selling. Um, we have all been experienced on our side, at least, in audits where the auditors 
misinterpreted a product or a service offering, sometimes in favor of the taxpayer, sometimes to the detriment of the taxpayer. And so we've seen both sides of that equation. Um, certainly, we've talked about the nexus implications. I think technology businesses are more impacted by the change in the law than a lot of other industries. Um, and then you have some unique sort of applications of law in, in certain states. And we just wanted to highlight these for you. Uh, Connecticut, for example, does tax SAS, but the, the rate of tax on SAS is 1%. So the normal rate in Connecticut, I believe, is 6.35% on sales of tangible personal property. But in the SaaS environment, it's only taxable at 1%. There are no local taxes in Connecticut. Illinois, another kind of unique state um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Illinois generally does tax downloaded software. However, there are five criteria under which downloaded software is actually exempt. You have to meet all five of the criteria, and they involve things like contract terms, ability to resell the service, and whether you physically signed the agreement or it was electronically signed. Really unique things. Um, there's no telling how these uh, sort of unique requirements evolve. Usually it's from some lobbying effort. Um, so in Illinois, generally, the default would be that downloaded software is taxable unless you're able to meet these five criteria, in which case it would be exempt. The other side of this equation is software as a service. Software as a service is not subject to Illinois state sales tax. However, the city of Chicago has its own power to tax and has established a, a tax of 9% on software as a service. You have to physically register with the city of Chicago to comply with that tax and be able to report and pay that tax to the city. New Jersey, something that, that, that exists there that's a little unique. New Jersey doesn't tax SaaS, but New Jersey does tax downloaded software. However, downloaded software sold to a business for use in the operation of that business is exempt. You have to issue an exemption certificate to achieve that exemption, uh, but it's a, a rather unique application of law there. South Carolina, I kind of refer to this state as being a little bit backwards. Not for the obvious reasons, but and I am from North Carolina, so I feel like I can say that. Um, but South Carolina, interestingly, does not tax downloaded software, but they do impose sales tax on software as a service. And that's really backwards. Any of the other states that tax software as a service also tax downloaded software. And as we reported, there's roughly almost two times the number of states that tax downloaded software as compared to SaaS. So South Carolina is kind of an enigma in that, in that regard. And lastly, just touching on Texas. Texas, the way they've defined their taxability of SaaS is they treat SaaS as a um, data processing service. And in Texas, 20% of the charge for a data processing service is exempt from tax. So if you're selling, ta selling SaaS to a, to a Texas customer, you can exempt or exclude from sales tax 20% of that total charge. Just serves to highlight that it's not just software, it's not just SaaS that, that's subject to tax, but the vertical or ancillary services associated with those products are, could also be taxable. Um, so it's true that some of the items on this list are taxable in some states, and 
it's not necessarily how you would imagine it. It's not necessarily true that if it's if the downloaded software is taxable, that doesn't mean that the configuration or the installation of that software is taxable. However, if downloaded software, if if downloaded software is exempt in a state, they also would be exempt from sales tax. So just because it's taxable doesn't mean these are taxable, but if downloaded software were exempt and these services were associated with the sale of that downloaded software, they also would be exempt from tax. But just to kind of walk through this and touch on them briefly, um, there are scenarios where companies are actually consulted to come in and evaluate the needs of a business and advise them on what type of software they might need. Some states that could be a taxable event if the person evaluating also sells the software. Installation, implementation, configuration, um, they're all ter different terms that are associated with someone's servicing or activating the use of software. It could be either downloaded or SaaS. Sometimes those activities, those services and charges are, are taxable. Customization, we all hear that custom software is exempt. Um, that's true, but only to the extent that it's written solely for that particular customer. So if somebody comes in and writes from scratch an entire software program, that's generally not a taxable event. There are some there are some exceptions to that rule. However, what's more common is that we sell a platform of software upon which we add customization. And that additional customization that occurs on a platform of otherwise taxable software can be exempt if it's separately stated on the invoice. That's a fairly common scenario. And lastly, maintenance. This would primarily be associated with downloaded software. Uh, it, can it can depend on whether that maintenance agreement is optional or mandatory as to whether it's taxable or not. Whether or not it, it includes updates or is purely support can impact taxability. So it's just an illustration of some of the ancillary or vertical services that we commonly see in the software industry that um, a lot of our clients are tripped up. They, they assume these aren't taxable events. The last thing I'm going to talk about is, is uh, something that Brian kind of highlighted when we were talking about the agenda for today, and that, that's the sales tax situs. So, you know, we, we are trying to draw a picture for you of what Nexus looks like. Um, we're giving you a little bit of perspective on the fact that some services are taxable, some digital products are taxable. Um, but the next question becomes, what tax applies? What state's tax applies? And, and the example I would give you is, I want to sell software as a service uh, to a customer that's headquartered in Ohio. Ohio generally taxes software as a service. However, I come to learn that that customer actually has remote employees throughout the United States, each of which have a seat license. So I'm going to sell them 100 seat licenses under this subscription. And in essence, the, that's those services, that software is going to be leveraged and used throughout the country in different states. So even though software as a service is taxable on Ohio, with added information and support from the customer that confirms that these users are based outside of Ohio, I can allocate those revenues based on where those users are located and then tax them according to each of the states in which they're located. Now, that brings in a whole nother level of complexity that most of my clients don't want. 
So what we tend to do is use it when it's favorable. So let's say I am operating in Ohio and have been for some time. I've been selling a SaaS software and I haven't been registered. And the state comes in and hammers me, says I have Nexus, says I should have been filing, charging and reporting. And I need to defend myself. They want to hit me with a $500,000 tax bill. I'll go back to my customers over those past several years and I'll get affidavits from them. Just anything signed and documenting that their users were essentially and actually outside the state of Ohio or to some degree outside the state of Ohio. And we call that the benefit of use. That's where the benefit of the use of the software subscription is taking place. It's not in Ohio. We just happen to invoice it to the headquarters address in Ohio. Another example of that is, is a little more formal, and that is in Washington. They actually have a form that's called the Multiple Points of Use Exemption Certificate. And it's specifically for companies that do subscribe to SAS and are operating and getting benefits of its use outside the state of Washington. Even though some of it is used in Washington, the issuance of this certificate relieves the vendor of that responsibility, shifts the responsibility to the end user, the customer, and then they do their own self-accruals under those conditions. Almost all the states have this benefit of use concept, uh, some of which have a little bit more formality than others. And again, going back to the, the reality of this is that it's very difficult and probably not recommended that you try to manage to that benefit of use because you're going to end up with invoices where you have a single ship to address, but you have 20 states where there's users. 14 of those states are taxable, six aren't. You've got to put those 14 different states' taxes on that invoice. Managing to that level of degree or diff detail is virtually impossible for most of our clients. Uh, so we don't encourage it unless there's a true benefit, maybe under audit or maybe some other circumstances. The flip side of that is maybe I've got a ship to address that's a state that doesn't tax SAS. I might want to just leave that one alone. I don't need to know where they're using it. Um, I like the fact that it's in a, a non-taxable state. Now that customer may ultimately get hit with some use tax, but you're usually pretty well protected and insulated from that. Uh, one thing I didn't touch on too in-depthly, and I know I'm up against our deadline here, um, the location of the server, if you're delivering services of that nature, can matter. And Utah and Florida are the two states where that could make a difference. And Utah is the one that I would worry about the most. Um, hopefully this was helpful. Thank you, everybody. Have Thank a great day. You. Thanks, everyone. This has been It Depends with another episode explaining the complexities surrounding sales and use tax. We'll see you next time.